Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Nami Nui and welcome. From RNZ National, here's our changing world. To understand the complex food web of a lake or pond, you really need to understand individual fish. Where do they like to live? What do they like to eat? How does their behaviour change when you introduce another fish that competes for food or maybe hunts them? And what role does their personality play in all of this? These are questions that intrigue freshwater biologist Travis Ingram at the University of Otago. And to answer them, he and his students are studying the common bully. Alison joins Travis at some small outdoor ponds next to the busy road heading out into Port Chalmers to meet some bullies and hear about the research. There are cattle troughs that you can get in bulk for feeding your livestock, and they turn out to make really nice mesocosm, have small-scale pond systems where we can have fish living, we can set up a little aquatic environment where other organisms, invertebrates, algae, um, larger plants will establish themselves and grow. Um, so you get a nice representation of pond food web, but it's in a nice controllable replicated setting where you can change things and manipulate things to your heart's content. So what we're looking at here is one of 20 mesocosms that uh, my master's student Nikki Kerr currently has set up. It should be four fish in each of these 20 tanks. Um, she's been measuring their behavior back in the lab at the university for a couple of months. So she knows the individual behavioral profiles, sometimes called the personalities of each fish. And now what we're doing is seeing if that variation in fish personalities translates into differences in what sorts of resources they use, what foods they're eating, what habitats they're using in a semi-natural environment. Okay, we'll come back to personality in a minute. First of all, let's describe what a common bully is. <laughs> um, so it's a small fish. As adults, they're between about 5 centimetres and the biggest ones will get to around 12 centimetres. You might know them as cockabullies. Um, if you walk around the shore of a lake, you'll see them scattering away from you. They're, as the name implies, very common. They're widespread throughout New Zealand. And they live in both moving water and in standing water, like lakes and ponds, um, which makes them a good species to use in the still water setup that we have in our cattle troughs here. And when it comes to personality, what are the words you use to describe uh, common bully personality? <laughs> They're not as social as... Some other species. As adults, they'll tend to be a little territorial, a little bit aggressive with each other, um, so they don't form schools or anything. They'll tend to hang out near the bottom, swim up to eat, swim up to explore a little bit. But there is variation among individuals, so you'll get individuals that are quite shy and will retreat away from any sort of threat. You'll get individuals that are much bolder and will go investigate. If you, you know, give them a simulated predator cue, they'll swim up and take a look at it, investigate. Some, if you give them access to a new space, they'll swim in right away and start exploring. Some will hold back and wait quite a bit longer. Some will be much more aggressive if you put up a mirror and they see what they think is another bully that they can start fighting. Um, some of them will show less aggression. Um, so there's these different measures. They tend to be correlated. You might get some that are bolder and more aggressive and more exploratory. Um, so you get these 
different behavioral syndromes of different individuals. Um, and that's what we usually mean when we say personality as it applies to an animal. Okay, well, I still haven't seen a fish. So there's one sitting on the bottom right here. Oh, yes. So if you look straight down, you can see a fish probably six centimeters or so long. Um, and you can see it's got a bit of a tattoo on its back. It's got a marking of, it looks like pink up at the front and then a bit of yellow toward the back. Okay, so that's something you've added to it. Yes, so because we need to know which individual we're looking at, if we're going to know if the individual is using the same habitats and eating the same things, um, we give them these tattoos with this elastomer dye. It's a plastic that you can inject under the skin. It hardens and stays there for months in this case. It doesn't do the fish any harm. It's completely inert. But it gives you a nice visible indication of which individual you're looking at got this depth gradient. We've got a board with some rocks set up to give them some shallower and deeper habitats. We've got different kinds of shelters that they can use. Uh, we've got kind of open water with some um, sandy, muddy sediment on the bottom. And it seems that some of them definitely do have territories that they'll keep coming back to. Others seem to move around a little bit more. So as you can see now, they are swimming around. They're probably interacting a little bit, although not directly. And keeping an eye on their social setting on which other fish are present, what they're doing. So as we were watching, we could see three fish and then what looked like a fourth fish ducked out from underneath that cover. Yeah, there are four fish in here, and I think this might be a male that's building a bit of a nest under this platform. Um, it was very dark colored. They get a dark kind of black nuptial color um, when the males are reproductive. Um, so if there are some other females in the tank, he's probably trying to convince them to lay their eggs in there. The male will build a bit of a nest and guard it. Excellent. Now, in terms of what they eat, I'm just looking in this mesocosm here, and it's filled with something bobbing around the sides. <laughs> so, oh, wow, there's a lot in this one. So what you're looking at there is a crustacean zooplankton. And looking at this appears to be a Daphnia. Um, so this is a common, about a millimeter long crustacean that swims around in the open water of lakes. Um, so they're common both in large lakes out in the open and in um, small ponds where there aren't too many fish to eat them all. Um, so it looks like there's a lot of food available in this single mesocosm. Um, so there should be plenty for the fish that are in there to pick from. So we'll, we'll see if they end up choosing differently if some individuals like eating these Daphnia and some of them go after other food items, which we won't be able to see them, but there are many more... Um, insect larvae, little coronamid bloodworms down in the mud. Um, there are some snails along the side you can see. Um, once in a while you might see a bit of a larger uh, aquatic bug swimming around. So how's she going to work out what they're eating? Is she going to just sit and watch them? Does she have some other clever technique? It can be a, t a little tough to tell just from watching because they might go quite a while without going out and eating. So what we do is we catch them and what's often done in dietary studies is You'll catch a fish, kill it, euthanize it, and then cut it open to see what's in its stomach. But what we're able to do is to use a syringe and a little s stretch of thin tubing to give them uh, stomach flushing, um, lavage, to force them to essentially throw up what they've been eating in the last day or so. Um, so we can get a sample of what this fish has been eating. We can let it go again, let it go back to refill its stomach, and then take that stomach content sample back to the lab and take a look at what's in there, see if there's more Daphnia or more coronamid larvae. Which is great, so you get more than just that one snapshot of what they're eating. You can see over a number of days and weeks. Exactly. You can really get a sense of whether they're being consistent in eating the same thing or if you know you might think that they were 
specializing on one food source if you just looked at what was in their stomach at the time you caught them. But it might be that they just had a craving for Daphnia on that day, but the next day they would have switched back to some other food source. Um, so it really gives you a better sense of, over the long term, how specialized an individual is. We've been able to get some of the preliminary measures. So we know individuals do differ from one another in what they're eating. Not entirely, but um, if an individual's tending to eat more crustacean zooplankton one day than if you go back in a week or so, it's more likely to be eating the same thing again. Although some of them will switch and eat some of everything. Um, so it's a bit like humans, really. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> some people only like fish and chips with tomato sauce. <laughs> And yeah. others prefer a, a range of food. Yeah, but if you wanted to know if humans had strong preferences, you'd need to watch them for more than a day. You'd need to look over ideally a few weeks or a few months and see what they were eating, what they were choosing. And wherever possible, we do the same with the bullies um, to get a nice integrated measure of what they eat over a longer period of time. Okay, so Nikki's got her little standalone study that she's doing. How does that fit in with the broader area of work that you do? So the bigger picture of what we're looking at in my research group these days is measures of variability among individuals, mostly focusing on the diet and the habitat aspects of it. And we've been developing some ways to measure individual specialization in more different dimensions at the same time. So similar to how when we talk about the behaviors, you get syndromes of more bold, aggressive, exploratory uh, individual uh, personalities. We might expect that you'd get individuals specializing in the type of prey they're eating, maybe in different aspects of the type of prey that they're eating. They might prefer different sizes of prey or prey that live in different habitats. And then the fish themselves might prefer different habitats as well as different prey types. So we're working on better ways to measure these different aspects of the fish's niches, um, the way they interact with their environment at the same time, and get a nice multiple uh, variate measure of individual specialization um, for each fish and for each population of common bullies. And what we're doing with that in the current study is to go out and look at populations in the Sinclair wetlands out by lakes Waihola and Waipori on the Tairi Plain, and to look at whether individual fish are specializing in different diets and different habitats in different populations. And Finally, to look at whether the presence of an introduced species, in this case we're looking at Eurasian perch, which have been in, in the country for over 100 years now, and also occur in a lot of slow-moving large rivers or standing water like lakes and ponds. Looking at whether interactions with perch change the ways in which bullies use their resources and change the amount of individual variation in diets and habitats. Okay, so you've got another student who's been working out at the Sinclair Wetlands this summer? Yes, my PhD student, Maureen Richardson, has started doing the first stages of her project, which have involved sampling quite a few different ponds around the wetlands and um, doing stomach flushing, doing measures of habitat, and looking at um, how variable individuals are within each of these different populations, as well as whether other fish species, such as perch, you'll occasionally also see ananga or eels in the ponds as well, um, looking at the other species present and whether that predicts what the population of bullies is doing, whether they're a more specialized or more generalized population. So for something like the perch, perch start off as little fish and then obviously grow bigger. So 
do they have different impacts depending on how big they are at different life sizes? So that's something that's something we're hoping to find out. We might expect that small one-year-old perch are about the same size as a bully. They're you know, five to ten centimeters, and they're eating a good number of the same foods. They might live a little more in the open water, but they'll eat the insect larvae. They'll eat the crustacean zooplankton. So they're probably competing fairly strongly with the bullies where they're in the same place. Um, so we might expect that bullies would need to shift a little bit what they're eating to reduce competitive interactions with the perch. Uh, but then as the perch get bigger, you know, they can get quite large to the point where people go out fishing for them and they're worth catching. They get big enough that they're a predator of bullies and other smaller fish, including small perch as well. And that means you tend to find either a few large perch or many small perch in a pond, because where there are large perch, they'll eat a lot of the small perch, as well as eating smaller bullies and any other species they can get. So now you have a very different potential impact on other species if it's largely as a predator. So you might expect that this is going to change aspects of bully behavior if it means they need to spend more time hiding or forage at different times. And this could affect basically how those different personality characters or how food preferences are manifested in the population when they also have to worry about this other factor that they're at greater risk of predation from this introduced species. So you could, if you wanted to, bring perch into these mesocosms as well and, and do experiments here. Are you planning to do that? Uh, we've done that on a trial scale. We've had small perch in with uh, bullies and confirmed that adding a perch will reduce the growth rate of the bully over a month and a half or so. So it's much more than just going, are the perch having an effect on the bullies? It's really teasing apart all of the nuances of what it's like to be a bully. <laughs> exactly. What it's like to be an individual bully and what the environmental context means for how individuals compare to the rest of their population. And we know from previous work that perch do have some effects on bullies. They'll affect their behavior. They will tend to make fish hide a little more. And if you take away the perch, then you'll get more bullies. So we can see that they're having a competitive or predatory impact. So there's some sort of negative impact of perch. And we're just trying to tease it out and see what it really means in terms of the kind of finer scale aspects of what they're eating and what habitats they're using ideally with the goal of figuring out what that then means for the food web as a whole in these uh, wetland ponds. That was Travis Ingram from the Department of Zoology at the University of Otago. That's all for now, but you can stay in touch with us on Twitter at rnz underscore science. Kia ora mai. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.